it's not the full menu. It's a snack-sized portion of chef Here's your host, Graham McLennan. Thanks very much for being with me here today for another short episode. I did have very good intentions to bring you the interview from Black Sheep Las Vegas this week, but we all know about good intentions and the road to hell and all of that. Suffice it to say, I'm trying a new approach to audio editing, and there's something of a learning curve with this technology, at least I'm finding there is, but I am making some progress, and even more importantly, I'm enlisting the help of a good friend, so... I now have even better intentions to bring you that Black Sheep interview next week. Fingers crossed. Today, though, let's talk about a few more of the culinary highlights from my recent trip to Las Vegas, and then I'll look ahead to a trip to New York City this fall that I'm really looking forward to going again as we did last year over the Canadian Thanksgiving uh, long weekend. So that's uh, right in mid-October. It's going to encompass my birthday this year, too. So that'll be fun. And then after the Vegas Roundup and the look ahead to New York City, I'll tell you quickly about some upcoming interviews on the beer, wine, and cocktail front. So, Vegas. As I mentioned last week, I landed on a Thursday night on my own. My friends didn't arrive until the Friday. And I spent that Thursday night walking on the Strip, took in a cheeseburger with lots of raw onion and In-N-Out burger, had a delicious craft beer at Ellis Island, that wonderful little... Uh, off-strip casino, very close to the Strip, but a small locals property, really, really great spot to visit. Then on Friday, I had brunch at Bouchon, as I mentioned last week, and then in the afternoon, met up with my friends and we were downtown. I mentioned this last week too, Uh, we needed a snack, so we went to American Coney, and that's, um, as is quite common in Las Vegas, it's the Vegas copy of a restaurant that exists somewhere else. So the original American Coney, at least this brand of American Coney, called American Coney, uh, comes from Detroit. And this is the Vegas Outpost, and it's in the D Hotel and Casino on Fremont Street in downtown Las Vegas. So again, a pretty classic Coney dog. What I found interesting, and this may be typical of Coney dogs, if anybody knows, please uh, write in and let me know. But a fellow in line ahead of us said that the Coney Island sauce, the beef sauce, was made primarily with beef heart. A couple of my buddies found that a little bit off-putting and and maybe even had trouble finishing the last couple bites of their hot dogs. I thought it was wonderful, though. I think beef heart is an underrated uh, cut of beef. Delicious, quite lean, super beefy. Anyway, the Coney Dogs were great. That got us through the afternoon. And on the Friday night, we went over to Pizza Rock just off uh, Fremont Street close to the downtown Grand Hotel and the Triple George, another restaurant there. Wonderful, wonderful spot. Again, I talked about it a little bit last week. I'll give you a little more information this week. One of the great things about Pizza Rock, it's owned and run by Tony Gemignani, and he's a world-class pizziolo. He's won a bunch of titles internationally, and he owns a bunch of pizza restaurants, uh, both in California and in Nevada. Pizza Rock, they specialize in many different styles of pizza, so that makes it a lot of fun. So they will make you a classic Neapolitan-style pizza. They bake those in a 900-degree wood-fired oven. They use double-O flour, that really soft, very finely milled flour, and that gives it that soft, floppy crust with the wonderful charring on it. So if you like that kind of pizza, they will absolutely build it for you. They do two styles there, or two two uh, topping styles, I suppose, a marinara without cheese, and then the classic margarita. For some reason, and I'm not entirely sure what this is, they have a limit of 73 margarita pizzas per day. So if you want one, don't leave it too late into the evening. Some other styles of pizza they will do for you, they'll do a California that is... Uh, again, 900-degree wood-fired oven. They'll do a Romana-style pizza, 700-degree electric oven. 
They'll do a New York New Haven style 700 degree electric brick oven. They'll do classic American pizzas at a slightly cooler temperature, 550 degree gas brick oven. And let's see, I'm actually scrolling down the menu as I speak here because there were a couple more, one of which we ordered. They will do a gluten-free pizza, 500 degree electric brick oven. They'll do a Chicago style cracker thin pizza, uh, which must be different from the sort of deep dish obviously must be different from the deep dish Chicago style pizza, but the cracker thin 650 degree gas brick oven, Sicilian style 500 degree gas brick oven. It goes on, it goes on and on, but here's the other one we had and it was great. You have to give them at least 25 minutes to put this together for you, but they call it the Detroit red top. Uh, and they describe it this way at a traditional Detroit pizza cooked in a blue steel pan. And I think at some point I'm going to do an equipment show or at least a little feature uh, perhaps on recommended equipment because blue steel is something that I think a lot of home cooks would do really well to incorporate into their kitchen equipment. Uh, also called carbon steel, lighter than cast iron, but it takes a seasoning brilliantly, becomes nonstick, and it's wonderful for searing proteins. Anyway, for the Detroit Red Top Pizza at Pizza Rock, they use a blue steel pan, a rectangular uh, blue steel pan with quite a deep uh, lip on it. It's done with white cheddar, Wisconsin brick cheese, and butter toasted corners. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? And then on the top, they've got what they call two racing stripes of marinara. So these two brilliant red stripes on top. If you like, as we did, you can order it as well with uh, some additional toppings. And we got the thick cup pepperoni on it. Absolutely fantastic. So that was Pizza Rock. We had to wait about an hour. We actually went down the road and had a drink at another nearby bar while we were waiting. If you don't have time or inclination to wait, they also have a slice to go compartment right at the B, right at the front of the restaurant where you come in and see the host stand. So you can always get a slice to go if you don't want to wait. All right, so that rounded out Friday. On Saturday, that was the day that we did the uh, sorry the off-strip interview at Black Sheep. When I say we, that was with my new friend Christy Totten of the Spicy Eyes podcast. She and I together interviewed Chef Jamie Tran of Black Sheep. And we had a really, I mean, the whole thing was really fun. Uh, Chef welcomed us into a restaurant before they were open. We sat down uh, as the prep cooks were getting things ready for dinner service. This was late in the morning on the Saturday. And we were staring, uh, me and another friend from Vancouver were staring at the bar and sort of um, wide-eyed at the selection of bourbon there because throughout most of Canada, in my experience, you don't see a, a huge range of bourbons. It's certainly growing over the last few years. But let me tell you, in the U.S. and for whatever reason in Vegas, in my experience, they take bourbon really, really seriously. So Black Sheep had a huge selection of bourbons and Chef said, oh, do you want to do a tasting? And so after we completed the interview, we had quite a few very small, very civilized amounts, but um, a, a wonderful little bourbon tasting. So I'll talk about that a little bit more on the full-fledged episode when we bring you that interview from Black Sheep. So after that interview was done, we returned to the Strip, and by this time I had changed hotels on the Thursday night. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I stayed at the Marriott Grand Chateau just off the Strip, and then when my friends arrived, we stayed at the Park MGM, formerly the Monte Carlo, and in the Nomad Hotel, sort of the hotel within a hotel in that property. And we went out to the 
nomad pool party, they call it. And on weekends, it's not just going out to the pool, it's a pool party. And uh, we went out, had a table, and it was just a silly Vegas pool party experience. It was actually a lot of fun. Not something I thought I would um, really take to, but it was great. And one of our crowd is a very good friend of mine from high school. It became very clear to me within about 10 minutes of being in Las Vegas with him as to just why he's been as successful as he has been in business. We, we hadn't been in the hotel 10 minutes when he had a host's name and a phone number and was texting with our new friend Jordan and had us a table lined up at this pool. And so out we went and we had a really fun afternoon. Just had some simple food, but really actually quite delicious. I had a lobster roll on toasted brioche and that went well with a couple of beers in the afternoon. Uh, made for a really fun afternoon. So that was at the, I think they call it the Jamai Pool Party uh, at the Nomad Hotel. And then that night was the fanciest dinner of the evening. And we did that at a place called Prime Steakhouse. Really interesting spot, and it's one I've wanted to go to for a long, long time. So it's in the Bellagio Hotel. That's the one that was built in 1998. Really a game changer on the Vegas Strip. Um, hard to explain the impact of that one resort property, but one of the things that they did when they opened the Bellagio was bring out celebrity chefs, and that's been really a mainstay of the Bellagio since it opened. The, the restaurants and the chefs have changed somewhat. Uh, some have been consistent. And if you're standing just outside of the casino before you go into the shopping esplanade, you'll be at the top of some escalators. And as you look down, you'll see Picasso Restaurant. And a few episodes back, I brought you an interview with uh, Matt Fleischer, who's the uh, executive pastry chef at Picasso. And to the right, opposite Picasso, is Prime Steakhouse. Prime Steakhouse is operated by Jean-Georges, I'm sure I'm going to do a bad job of pronouncing his last name, Jean-Georges Van Gerichten. And he is uh, a very, very well-known uh, French chef in the U.S., owns restaurants now around the world. Years and years and years ago, I had just an incredible experience at his flagship restaurant called Jean-Georges in New York City. And that was really fun. And there's actually... Um, sort of a, a law connection to that because at the time I was working in private practice and a paralegal in the firm that I was working at, her brother was, and I believe still is, the chef de cuisine at uh, Jean-Georges. This is more than 10 years ago that I was there. In any case, hands down one of the best meals I've ever had in my life at, uh, at Jean-Georges in New York. I wish I could say the same about Prime Steakhouse. I don't really have any complaints about the food. It was absolutely fantastic. It really was. It was simple steakhouse food. I had a dry-aged ribeye, and it was done beautifully. Uh, we had some sides that we shared. We had some asparagus. We had some uh, We had some very, very buttery rich potatoes, um, some salad -y items. All of those were great. The wine was great. We sat on the deck. Uh, if you've seen the Instagram account lately, you'll have seen a couple of pictures that show the lake at Bellagio looking out over to Paris, Las Vegas, and the half-sized replica of the Eiffel Tower. Anyway, we were seated out uh, on that patio watching the fountains at Bellagio. The whole experience was great. The, really the only problem, you can probably hear the hesitation in my voice, was that they were overwhelmed. And I'm surprised they were overwhelmed because this is a high volume restaurant. It is a restaurant that must be, should be accustomed to uh, huge volumes of people coming in. So for whatever reason, they seem to me just to be a little overwhelmed. So the service was a bit stilted. Listen, that is the epitome of a first world problem. It's just not what I was expecting at a restaurant um, as well known and frankly as expensive as Prime is. It is definitely um, a big budget evening. But what was interesting, I was reading an article 
uh, after we got back because somebody had mentioned to me when I was in Vegas, I cannot remember who now, that Prime was one of the main money makers within the Jean-Georges empire. And so looking around online at a few articles, I found one that is entitled, I think, if I scroll to the top here, yes, the 50 highest grossing restaurants in America. And at number 45, we have Prime Steakhouse in the Bellagio at Las, or in Las Vegas. And so they say annual sales at this restaurant, $16.8 million. That is some serious volume in a restaurant. Anyway, given all of that, I was just a bit surprised at how stilted the service was. Still, though, all in all, a fantastic experience. The food was great. Patio was great. Being there with my friends was fantastic. And I didn't pick up the tab. So really, no complaints whatsoever. So that was on the Saturday night at uh, Prime. Sunday, we went out to Summerlin. And I mentioned this before briefly. This was um, the experience at Ada's restaurant. Ada's really, really cool. Um, Look it up. I would recommend Ada's LV. And it's named after an iconic bartender in London in the last century, a woman who was known for creating a cocktail called the Hanky Panky. And Ada's is owned and operated by James Trees. His other restaurant, one of his other restaurants, main restaurant, I would say, in Las Vegas, is called Esther's Kitchen in the Arts District. The menu at Ada's quite similar to Esther's, which is to say pretty straight-ahead Italian fare pizza passed us some fantastic salads. So I had a cacio e pepe. Again, if you've been uh, watching the Instagram account at all, you'll have seen a picture of that. Also had a bite of a vegan pizza, which my friend declared to be not only the best vegan pizza he'd ever had, but the best pizza he'd ever had, uh, full stop. And we also had this kale and cauliflower and raisin salad. I'm not usually a fan of raisins, I gotta say. This salad was incredible. It really, really was. Everything was... um, almost strangely tasty to me. That may sound uh, slightly off-putting, but I don't mean it that way at all. It was just hard to believe how tasty these simple ingredients were. They were put together brilliantly. So if you're in Vegas, get to Esther's. I still haven't been there, but I fully intend to get there when I'm back. And as I mentioned last week, it's a goal to interview Chef James Tree. So I'm hoping to make that happen soon on an upcoming trip. But go to either Ada's or to Esther's, and I know you're going to be happy with whatever you have. All right, so that is Vegas. Those are the culinary highlights in a nutshell. And uh, next week, we will have that interview with Chef Jamie Tran of Black Sheep. So now let's look ahead to New York City. As I said, I went uh, last fall, last Canadian Thanksgiving. We're doing the same trip again. We're going to be there for about four days. And here, I'm actually looking for recommendations. I would love to hear from you if you've got any favorite spots in New York. I can tell you some of mine. On the street food front, I love the Halal Guys, 53rd and 6th. It's a stop I make all the time. They're near the Museum of Modern Art, so it's super convenient. You get a great plate of food, you eat that on the street, and then you go in and see the MoMA. It's always a fun thing to do. Another place I love going to is Lupa in Greenwich Village. It's a really casual but very well done Italian restaurant. They have a rack of lamb there that's incredible. We went back on one trip. This is a few years ago. I think we went three times over a long weekend, including on our way out to the airport. And we we calculated as we were in the cab that if we phoned ahead and said, hey, remember us? We were in last night. Could you please put some lamb in the oven for us? We'll be there in 20 minutes. And they did. They were so friendly and nice. And so we walked in. It was not at all a relaxed an indulgent meal, but we sort of walked in, sat down, ate the lamb that was delicious, and then headed out to the airport and caught our flight. Just a great experience. So I'll probably go back to Lupa. Another place that a colleague of mine 
uh, just rep recommended is called Lilia in Brooklyn. And the funny thing is, I've been following following Lilia on Instagram. A colleague at work, as I say, just recommended it to me. And this is a colleague who lived and worked in New York for a while, so I trust her opinions. And then when I looked up the website, I realized that on my last trip to New York, we had actually gone to Lilia, and I just hadn't put two and two together. But when I saw a picture of the outside of the building, I realized that we had been there before, and it was absolutely fantastic. So... I think we are going to go back. I've thought about whether or not to do, you know, a fancy three-star Michelin kind of place, and I'm really landed on the not side of that. I would love to go to 11 Madison Park. That's Daniel Hum's restaurant. Having just stayed at the Nomad Hotel in Vegas, Daniel Hum is one of the people behind Nomad uh, Restaurant and Bar in New York, and 11 Madison Park is, of course, legendary. I would love to go there or to Le Bernardine, Eric Repair's restaurant. Those would probably be the two at the top of my list. Jean-Georges would be up there as well, but I've already been there. I mean, there are, you're spoiled for choice, to state the very obvious, in New York. But I would like to go to either or both of those places. But honestly, when I do the cost-benefit uh, and consider the exchange rate, I just don't think I can bring myself to do it. If I do, of course, I will tell you, but that's my leaning right now, is I'm looking for more mid-market, quirky, genuine places. Not that these places aren't genuine, but do you know what I mean? Uh, the places that are a little more uh, humble, I guess, would be another way to put it. And humble on the pricing as well. So on that uh, initiative, I reached out to a friend of mine who is in New York, and she's also a chef, and she has also appeared on this podcast, and that's Chef Jenny Dorsey. She was on an episode last year, A Weekend in New York, and if you haven't listened to that, I heartily recommend it. She's a fascinating chef and person and artist. Uh, I just can't say enough about her, and so if you're going to New York, and even if you're not, I highly recommend that episode. She's somebody you want to get to know, especially if you're interested in food, which if you're listening to this podcast, I suspect you are. Anyway, I reached out to Jenny and said, do you have any recommendations? And did she ever? And she said, actually, my recommendations are on my website. And so she sent me a fully separate website from her own personal website. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's called Make NYC Yours. And it's full of great recommendations from her and her husband. She's a chef, he's a mixologist, among other things, and together they've put together a great list of restaurant recommendations and other things to do in New York. So I'm going to spend some more time with that website. But as I say, I'm always open to other ideas. So if you've got a favorite spot or spots in New York, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Okay, so that is New York. The one other thing I wanted to touch on in this short episode this week, and I'm looking down, we're over the 19-minute mark already, so it's not that short, but I'll wrap this up quickly. So after the Black Sheep episode, I will have an episode coming up fairly soon, and it's going to focus more on the drink side of the food equation. And it started with me going to Campagnolo Upstairs here in Vancouver on Main Street. One of the recent episodes, I hope you've heard it again, I highly recommend it, is with Chef Robert Belcham. And he's got a few restaurants in town, one of which is Campagnolo, a great Italian restaurant on Vancouver's Main Street. And upstairs, they've got what they call, fittingly enough, camp upstairs and it's uh, to me it's almost feels like a like a great basement environment it's super casual super welcoming super friendly they've got a different menu up there that's where they, where they serve the dirty burger which is utterly wonderful uh, again listen to that episode with chef robert belcham and you'll hear all about the dirty burger but i went there and i met with another friend peter vanderreep and peter runs the bark program at camp upstairs so he does a bunch of things probably best known for his cocktails um I'm not a huge cocktail guy, but 
any time that Peter makes me a cocktail, it really is noticeably different from other cocktails I've had and noticeably better. He just knows what he's doing. He'll listen to what your taste preferences are and make you something wonderful. So I stopped by and uh, I had the recorder with me and I asked Peter if I could ask him a few questions. So we had a chat about cocktails. I asked him about the wines that they're serving at... um, at camp upstairs as well. Uh, They have a lot of naturalist wines there. They also have some great beers on tap. So if you're looking for a snack, even a full meal, and some great drinks and great conversation around drinks, head to camp upstairs and talk to Peter Vanderee. You'll hear from him shortly on the Chef Demoni podcast. Also, later the same night, in fact, I met some other friends, including Chad McCarthy. He's another lawyer in Vancouver, and he was on the fourth episode, I think I have that right, of the podcast, along with my friend Richard Boucher. And that episode talked about oysters and beer. And Chad, in addition to being a lawyer, is a Cicerone or a beer expert. So he and I and some other friends, we met up at Boxcar, which is on the other side of Main Street across from Campagnolo uh, within the Cobalt Hotel. It's a great little place to go for a beer as well. So Again, I had the recorder with me, and I asked Chad for his updated thoughts on the craft beer scene, and particularly uh, beers he's recommending and enjoying in this uh, coming and now really here summer season. So that's coming up as well. I may try to get one more interview in there. I would love to talk to a craft brewer. I have some ideas uh, for potential craft brewers who might appear on the show, but if you have an idea, please let me know. Uh, I would love to hear from you if there's somebody you know who has a craft brewery, knows a lot about, about brewing beer, and preferably is local to either Vancouver or the Sunshine Coast, which is where I spend most of my time, please let me know. You can do that by tracking me down either on Instagram. You can send me a message there. You can send me a message on Facebook or just send me an email to graham at chefnimony.com. And while you're getting in touch, please also take a moment to rate the show. Give it a star rating. We have now on the Canadian version of iTunes, 22 ratings. Knock on wood, it's a five-star run. So please consider leaving a rating, either a star rating or a review, a written review, uh, is also very, very welcome, or both, if you have the time. I'd really appreciate that. Okay, so that is it for today's short episode. Thanks, as always, for joining me. I'm going to see you again in a week. This is with very, very good intentions to bring you the interview with Chef Jamie Tran that I did with Christy Totten from the Spicy Eyes podcast. So that'll be coming to you from Off Strip, Las Vegas, next time, right here on Chef Demonio.